0: show you a better way you don't have to be well hi folks this is jack spirica with another edition of the survival podcast there's always one man's view of the changing world the changing times and the things we can all do to live a better life times get tough or even if they don't today is tuesday july the 5th 2022 and this is episode 3118 of the survival podcast and i have uh Great one for you today. It is 3118 of the Survival Podcast. As far as the Bitcoin breakout goes, it is episode five. And there will be two Bitcoin breakouts this week because of a reschedule. Uh, our guest Thursday will be Natalie Brunel, also in the Bitcoin space. So from this point forward, we should be back to four, like I would have promised, four shows a week, regular TSP, one Bitcoin breakout. Please bear with me for those that aren't into the Bitcoin thing as we make the adjustment. Anyway, Guy Swan is going to be on with me in just a minute. This went almost two hours because Guy knows so much about Bitcoin and so much about the space and what's evolving in it. He is literally the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. I would say he could say than any other three people combined you know and probably prove it. We'll even talk about that a bit today. Fascinating conversation about Bitcoin and freedom, something in this one for everybody Uh, Before we get Guy on, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Backwoods Home Magazine. Been a reader since 1993. Honest to God, I discovered the magazine in 93 when I got out of the Army and came to Texas. 1994, I got a decent job. It was the first magazine as a grown-ass man that I ever subscribed to intentionally. I still read it today. It is 2022. What more can I say Great content, great information, a massive quarterly publication. It's like a book four times a year. It is still one of my favorite things to read. If you give it a shot, you'll see why at BackwoodsHome.com. Next up today is ButcherBox. I love the fact that every month a great big giant-ass box of meat shows up at my house. It's always top-quality stuff. It's like having my own personal shopper to go out and find me the best grass-fed beef Pastured pork, pastured poultry, some damn good seafood, and some other really cool stuff as well. I absolutely love the grass-fed uh, bratwurst. Those are just awesome. Uh, I love the salmon lox. If, if, I don't know if they're still available to add on, uh, but those are great. Um, man, it is just a fantastic company. I've had a great uh, partnership with these guys going five years now. Five years of the ButcherBox, been. Uh, around with us, they're now a national brand. They're advertising on mainstream television, and they still do a discount for you guys in my audience. I have a great relationship with them, and I'm glad to still be working them with them today. Uh, you can find out more at ButcherBox.com, but if you are an MSB member, make sure that you use your discount code because it is a recurring $10 off every box for as long as you stay a customer. That's $120 a year on my $50 a year membership. With that, let's dig into this. Except, I want to give you guys the uh, t Spaz item of the day up front today. Just real quick, remember, one of the ways you can help this show, do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there. Whenever you're going to shop online, start there. No matter what you buy, you help support us. But my item of the day today is is an incredible book, in my opinion. It is called Death in a Lonely Land by Peter Capstick. Peter Capstick is one of my – I can't even pick my top three authors uh, on writing on – the golden days of hunting and exploration. Uh Capstick would be the most contemporary. Uh prior to him would have been Rourke and and prior to that would would be uh Teddy Roosevelt. Those three authors and I, I guess I have to throw Hemingway in there so there's four I can't really pick my favorite among. But Capstick is the one that was the most prolific on the topic. Wrote the most books on hunting uh throughout the world. Uh, that are fiction no, I'm sorry, factual based books. He also wrote for Guns and Ammo magazine for a very long time. And this book is more of a copedendum of stories put together across time. It is fantastic. And you guys really if you have listened to the show a long time and you love Bill Tong and Bill Tong's in your life because of TSP, this is the book that I first discovered Bill Tong in. Now it's not a book on how to make Biltong. Don't get it for that. But it is the basics of how I teach to do it. And I learned all about it in this book. And for that alone, uh, Peter Hathaway Capstick has a place in my heart. Uh, you can find the book on my website. You can look it up, or you can go to tspaz.com to learn more. And remember, if you shop starting there, you help us out no matter what you buy. And with that, let's get Guy on. And we are live, and I am fortunate today to be with The Guy Swan, the guy that knows, or has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know, um, But uh, I want to start out with just a disclaimer, as I always do, especially when we are uh, talking Bitcoin in particular. I will never contact you for any personal information or private chat exchange or anything in the comments of a video stream ever, 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 ever. And if it has my logo, it doesn't mean it's me and I don't use WhatsApp. So if it says hit me up on WhatsApp and I'll mine Bitcoin for you, it's a lie. With that out of the way, Guy, welcome to the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout. (laughs)
1: what up man thanks for having me
0: i'm sure you've seen that right like that's a like it's all the time all the time all the time uh, people will send me
1: like followers or whatever send me dms like i thought you were messaging me and you were like trying to get me in this trading group i was like yeah god doesn't
0: trade what the hell it has your logo or your avatar. You like, you know, just like NFTs, anybody can right click and say this, right? Like, <laughs> it's not hard. Dude, yeah. uh, I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, I definitely want to get some of your backstory and I want to kind of start out with that. Like, okay, let's go back to before Guy Swan is, is reading everything about Bitcoin he can find on the Bitcoin audible podcast and you don't know what Bitcoin right. is yet. What in your life leads you to a world to become completely obsessed by Bitcoin?
1: So I was doing, I went to college for film, um, which growing up in like really small town America was, seemed like a ridiculous thing to do, um, at the time. And, uh, but I was just fascinated with stories, um, with, uh, and that was, that was really, I think was at the heart of libertarianism to me and, uh, essentially Austrian economics as well is that, it explained things that made no sense to me previously. Like when I took economics um, and actually while I was living with my brother after school, um, he was majoring in economics and the, the economics, the Keynesian economics that you're taught in school is literally self contradictory. Like so many times they will teach something in microeconomics and then something completely different in macroeconomics and they're they literally can't be true at the same time like they they just cannot both be true but you're told to just kind of shut up and take it and this is what happens when things get big and this is what happens when things are small and it's like no literally nothing in the world works that way like pressure and temperature doesn't work when you're talking about a big hurricane versus in a cup you know like it's the same law it's the same thing economics is not any different it's just more convoluted it's just bigger so it's harder to see um and like and that was that kind of drove me crazy like i a I little bit like hated I loved the i mean being a nerd uh, I was always techie and everything, but in that I actually really loved the supply and demand curve when I took economics my economics professor actually pulled me aside one day and told me I should major in economics. I was like nah dude, I'm doing film this sucks and <laughs> uh and uh he uh um but the supply demand curve thing was super just, just flat intuitive to me. And so like when we were like taking a test or whatever, like I, you, you could just lay out like a scenario, like what happens if this was introduced into the environment? It's like, oh, well, sure. Like you just have the supply would get strangled and you know, you'd have a, a increase in price, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, but outside of that, everything else around it seemed to be. Just like, this is the way the model works for the thing, and there wasn't, wouldn't be any ex- explicit reason why. I, I don't know, like, something about the logic of it was just falling apart for me, and it did not, it, it didn't stick together, right? And being somebody who loves a cohesive story, who, like, will, like, meticulously break down a film to each incremental movement and, and, and like, in- incremental moment, excuse me, that Led to the ultimate satisfaction of the conclusion. Like I loved the detail, the details, right? And it just didn't do it for me. And Austrian economics suddenly just like things fit into place. You start from first principles, you know, you start from like the axiomatic reality, like what can we absolutely know is true? What we can, what can we decide on that is objective? And then. How does this relate to human nature and human interaction? And what happens when you extrapolate that? You end up deducing economics, kind of like you deduce math, um, rather than looking at a bunch of data, which is always going to be so convoluted and isolated. You know, it's like it's like looking at like singular metrics about like the human body or whatever and thinking, you know, you have an idea about what's going on like that oh, just because I'm reading your cholesterol. Well, these are all the things that are wrong with you when the amount of complexity in the human body is staggering. Like we really just don't know what the hell is going on. And economics is exactly the same way. It's so big. It's so convoluted. Like the idea of a top-down structure of someone being able to point at, oh, well, here's here's a price and here's our aggregate demand for cars and thus I'm going to just manipulate things. And I'm going to mess with the altimeter in the plane instead of actually just letting, like instead of actually correcting the plane, I'm just going to screw with all the gauges and the gauges are going to tell us what we want it to say right. rather than what it actually tells us. <laughs> um, and the plane's going to fly great. It's going to be wonderful.
0: Um, and yeah, those two so things don't go together. That's not how yeah. that works. You either correct <laughs> what the plane's doing. Yeah. Or, or, you either or, or,
1: respond to reality yeah. or like you need accurate gauges, not gauges that tell you what feels nice. Like, you know, it's just so that going down that whole rabbit hole, it just got me fascinated in Austrian economics. And uh that also reframed everything in tech for me, because everything up to that point with the Internet was gaming, right? Like it was it was a toy. Yeah. It was yeah. something that was just neat in my world. Um, and when I started to like dig into Austrian economics, like my brother and I, um, uh, cause we all, we did this whole journey together. Um, and my brother's agorist view on Twitter, by the way, I'm not sure if you know him or if y'all chatted. Um, but, uh, he's aggressive Bitcoiner anarchist, just like myself. Um, and, uh, uh, but as we were know, both going down, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Check him out. He's, he's fun. He's, he's, uh, uh, He's aggressively controversial on Twitter it makes it makes it very entertaining um but uh, uh so we're going down this rabbit hole together and I I re it reframed everything about the internet suddenly the internet i recognized was something that was like literally changing the world this wasn't just like A computer i could build in my room you know it's like oh i'm gonna get a gpu with more stats and like the ooh, the bigger number and like i'm gonna custom build it and uh it's gonna look fancy and it's gonna have a light inside of it (laughs) just whatever um and uh suddenly it was like holy shit this is like this is disrupting industries this is this is undermining the the fundamental economic incentives of 100-year-old companies, incumbents, that cannot survive this transition. And then I looked at BitTorrent again, which was just a way to get free music at the time. And suddenly I was like, holy shit, this is like fundamentally, this is undermining the technological reality that the record labels and the, the legal structure and the copyright structure and the delivery structure of an entire market of media is refusing to accept. The world has changed. Technology is different and they are refusing to accept it. And they think they're powerful enough and wealthy enough in order to prevent it from happening. And somebody wrote a few hundred lines of code and is tearing this entire system apart. That blew my mind. And somewhere in the middle of all that shit, Bitcoin landed. Bitcoin was the BitTorrent of money. There's a peer-to-peer network that couldn't be shut down that undermined government money that created its own unit of measurement that had its own transaction rails and its own infrastructure and was programmable and embraced and codified Austrian economic principles. Like, that was it. That was it. Like, it was like the trifecta of everything that mattered to me at the time. And I was just down, I was, I was down the rabbit hole and I never came out. Um, I've been stuck ever since. I don't even know.
0: Is there anything other than the rabbit now,
1: hole?
0: I'd ne- <laughs> I live in the rabbit hole. That's, a, that's like a new shirt. I live in the rabbit hole. Like I live uh, in the
1: rabbit hole. Oh my wh- God, that's a good one.
0: I live you in the rabbit make hole. Make that right? shit
1: and I will buy it. I be customer. Right.
0: So like I, uh, For me, one of my moments was when I started taking Bitcoin for my membership. My membership's a $50 a year product. It's not very expensive. Mm -hmm. And back when I started the show back in 08, I would get, I guess it was 2009 when I actually monetized it. So from 2009 to about 2013, I would get 10, not huge, 10, 15 orders a month that people would pay in the mail with silver coins. Because there's a lot of the barter mindset. I haven't (laughs) had an order for silver in the last five years. And i watched those orders go away and then Bitcoin orders replace it and then exceed it. And I was like, so everybody, everybody, everybody that was using silver back then, they wanted this thing. They just didn't recognize it necessarily when it showed up. They wanted something that government couldn't reach into and touch and take. But metal... Metal has some really great values to it. It's why it worked for so long in so many different ways, but it is corruptible and it is Mm -hmm. difficult to do business in because not everybody's going to denominate things in ounces, but we can take sats to, you know, infinite level really. Right. So when you could actually price something and actually take payment for it and then move that thing at the speed of light across electronically and then guarantee that both sides were safe like, I, I again, I don't get any... The last barter deal I got was some guy gave me, like, four gallons of honey because I make mead. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. And he was local, so he drove by and dropped it off. That's a, game, that's a good deal. You got to take a that. a good deal, right? <laughs> yeah, like, was, this is awesome. But, like, people have just... Like, then you know it is a unit of exchange, even if most people are you know, hodling long-term with the majority of the Bitcoin. But there's a lot of stuff wrong in the world, societal problems, political problems. And I think a lot of times... Anarchists, agorists, Bitcoiners, code bros—you know all, all that whole kind of group that they've lumped in as one group where it belongs. there are not libertarians. We get accused of like not caring. I think we we care a lot. and We want to do something. How do you think that Bitcoin addresses that as actually a solution rather than just another internet tool?
1: Wait, addresses what specifically as a solution? Societal there... problems,
0: like okay, uh, what like we always say, Bitcoin fix the money, fix the world. Like, yeah. how does that is that is that a real thing or is that just a meme that we came up with to get more people to buy Bitcoin?
1: No, that's a real thing. That's a real <laughs> thing in so many ways. Um,
0: first, so
1: you know, you know, going back to the gauge analogy, actually, with the airplane, is that one of the the purpose of money is to give accurate signals about the economy through an insanely dense aggregation of data that is not possible in any other way like what the economy is and why the free market works is because I have some piece of knowledge that nobody else has and that means I could be completely stupid but that doesn't mean that my piece of information or knowledge is inaccurate or that like I still don't have something that somebody else does just merely because I'm standing in a different place and I can see something from a different angle I might know that, you know, my friend down the street has, you know, a whole bunch of, I don't know, a whole whole bunch of lumber after they built a house and they just have it sitting in their garage and it's just left over, but nobody's using it. Now, if the price of lumber doubles in a few days, I might be like, man, I'm going to go hit that guy up and get his lumber. I'm going to actually cause market pressure in the reverse direction because I know about supply that nobody else knows about. And that same thing goes for knowing who to trust to take on a project. Like I might know that you're a good worker, that you're going to actually you've been doing this podcast for 14 freaking years. You're going to get some shit done. Right. So like I would trust you to be a part of some project or to work on something with me. And when things get down to the wire, like in a normal situation, I might just like grab anybody. Right. When it's like no big deal. But when I'm like on a deadline or something serious, or prices are high, um, and like I need to get something done, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose somebody that I trust, or somebody that I know, and that other person is not going to get the job anymore. I'm going to change where my economic activity goes. Now extrapolate that through my entire life, through every single thing that I do, through every transaction that I make day to day, through all of the weight of the skills of everything that I've read, of the people that I have come to know and trust in my life. I've extended that over my enti- the, the course of my entire life to help me make intelligent, rational decisions about the stuff that goes on day to day. The, the economy and the price in the market is the aggregate of that mechanism for every single person. And all of the things that they know. And all of the people that they trust. And all of the extra pieces of wood that they know about (laughs) when market prices change. And it's the aggregate of all of that interaction. It's like a supercomputer where every single processor has a unique perspective and a unique experience. And the market signal is the aggregate of all of that. The idea that we're going to take two to three people who are experts who barely have a 1% 5% at best advantage over just the normal ass human being. In fact, probably less because they're just arrogant and they think they know. And they're going to convince that they can convince themselves of something stupid because they're actually intelligent. Whereas a stupid person is just going to bang on things and the thing that works, they're going to do. They don't care if they understand it. They're going to eventually stumble upon the correct answer. An expert can do something wrong for years and years and years and years because they can always... they're always intelligent enough to excuse it. Um, so there's even an argument as to whether or not the expert really truly has an advantage of knowing what the correct decision is. But aside from that, it's not a thousand-fold, million-fold advantage, which is what the whole economy is. So if you have people manipulating the money, that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're replacing that supercomputer that allows the money to be stable – It allows it to be a rock-solid means of monetary stability, of supply stability, so that all of those interactions and the knowledge and the information of all of those people can be what dictates the price. They can be what informs the current state of economic reality. You're replacing it with a few people at the top. Who are arrogant enough to believe that they can play God and that they can just look at an economy of billions of people and just know what it needs and what everybody wants and the direction that it's going to go. It is, it is the pretense of knowledge. It is the most painfully arrogant, I'm omnipotent, I will be God idea ever. And the only way to, and they just, it just causes destruction. It just causes destruction. It just causes misallocations. It just causes waste unbelievable amounts of waste and inefficiency and until we rip that ability away from them until we find some as Hayek says some sly roundabout way to make their dictates and their attempts to control it irrelevant we will be subject to all of the destruction that they cause and when you fix the money you have a real economy you have a free market and you can actually adjust and account for all of those things and it will be stable and sustainable over the long term.
0: I think too, like with that, people get the wrong idea when we say something like that. I think we're talking utopian. I, I think what we're talking about basically is a Just fair thing. There will still be winners yeah, and losers. No yeah, right. Yeah. There will still be winners and losers, but at least you're 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 basing your decisions on a known rather than the whims of what this person might do, who's supposedly an expert. One of the, the coolest episodes I ever heard of yours was fairly recent. I think it was an old one you redid though. And it was on why like yuppies yeah. reject Bitcoin. Yeah. Why well, the yuppie I, I elite really don't understand Bitcoin or something like they're that. They're too yeah. smart to understand it because yeah. it doesn't fit their worldview. And, and the, the worldview that they have is working out really well for them. And I right about the time I listened to it, I had Brian, Her- Brian Harrington on from from Choice. And, oh, I love Harrington. Yep. He's a good dude, man, and we were talking about this, and I had this kind of epiphany right as we were discussing that episode of yours, that all these people that are supposed to be smart about economics, they should love Bitcoin, because yeah. Bitcoin is to economic formulas, but the speed of light is the physics, Yeah. right? It is a, It yeah. is an economic constant, to the yeah. last day, to the last one mined, to the cost of every fee, per the value of each trade, you know everything, and so you can actually measure economic models with a stick instead of measuring them with a freaking rubber band, right? Because that's what the Federal Reserve's job is, is to make monetary supply and inflation an elastic component and an economic model that's supposed to bring certainty. So even when good economists, good CFOs, good CEOs, even if the news is bad, just entrepreneurs, we always prefer a known versus an unknown in making plans for, like, do I hire? Do I mm-hmm. take out more financing? Do I invest in this or that, right? But if you take and put it in a total variable, everybody's blind, except the people that know, and then they have this disproportionate advantage over others.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, like, when you think about it in, like, actually, actually, there's, you talk about, you talk about, like, it's not, utopia right yeah and i think that's it's just kind of a straw man of how people take the argument the proper incentives does not equal utopia the proper incentives means we can respond to reality correct you know it doesn't mean because we have an accurate idea of what the weather is doesn't mean there won't be hurricanes um and in fact like when i talk about um uh uh, this this is one thing that i talk about like how corporatism in the united states has obliterated the economy is we've essentially we've half socialized we've socialized what is actually the most important part of the economy which is losses the reason a market works is because of profits and losses and losses is half of the equation is who loses and how do we make sure that people are the right, the, the correctly wrong, the correctly wrong, the, the actually wrong mechanisms, the actually wrong behaviors, the actual irresponsibility is what's punished, and the responsibility, the solvency, is being rewarded. What we have done in the United States is decided that risk is bad and losses are bad. And so because we just want to stay away from the things that we fear, we're just going to cover up one half of the equation. We're going to paper over it. The government is going to come in and subsidize everybody who's losing money. They're going to bail out everybody who was irresponsible and insolvent. And we're still going to let cap, we're going to let profits stay privatized. Well, what do you do? You turn into profits become just this, this permanent, this permanent greed and speculation, this, this it gets poisoned because it has no ba- it has no counterbalance it's like uh, profit's become the only thing because losses no longer exist so your irresponsible behavior is bailed out when the banks are insolvent and they leverage themselves 40 to 1 with customer deposits and they can't pay anybody back and we have a multi trillion dollar collapse in the economy and then they get bailed out what happens the behavior doesn't go away In fact, all of the banks that didn't do it are now like, well, shit, why didn't I do it? Why didn't we do it? They profited massively off of this. The loss is what cleans house. The loss is what pushes people back away from the greedy profit of like, I'm just going to sell bullshit. I'm just going to leverage the customer deposits because you look out in the future. You're like, oh, wow, yeah, this is going to kill me. This is going to destroy my life. This is going to ruin my business. If it doesn't do that anymore, then they just run with it. You have, you know, you've got the, it's the the uh, Lady Liberty or whatever the, or not Lady Liberty. What's the the one with the justice, the the weights? The scales of justice. Scales of justice. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. Um, like that's what that's the free market. You've got profits on one side and you've got losses on the other. If you just remove this one, everything's just everything's just greed, speculation. Wall Street becomes a gambling toy. Like, it's just a giant casino, and nobody cares about principles. Nobody cares about things actually working or not. Because why? Because the government's going to come in and make sure that I never have losses. They're going to subsidize me when I'm a newspaper and nobody wants to buy me anymore. Well, we'll just we'll just pay. We'll just give you a bunch of money to keep newspapers alive. Why? I don't know. Nobody wants them. It's just because – that's sad. That's sad. It's like, well, what the – these are resources. This is shit that – People live or die by resources. It's scarce. You can't just throw human time. Like imagine if we figured out a way to save money, save 50% of every one of our days, like just an unbelievable amount of time that we got back. But what would it inevitably do? It would destroy some giant industry that was profiting or that was trying to help us with that 50% of time that we were losing. If you just subsidize them to prop them back up, you're just roundabout stealing all of that time back from us and throwing it back into the industry. That was a complete and utter waste of resources because we fixed it because we fixed it. It's making us pay for a problem that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and and you have this huge imbalance that just that just that just died. The, the economy dies losses, recessions, like adjustments and, and like the opening of reality, losers are the most important part. They're the most important part. Somebody has to lose because 90% of the shit that we do is wrong. It's yeah. just wrong. Yeah. We're incompetent by nature. It's okay. We have to embrace that. We're going to lose from time to time. The thing is, is that we're supposed to learn something. We're supposed to learn that the thing that lost is the thing that we stop doing don't do
0: that you know and I think we, we that's want, how we make progress like we, we want evolution. an environment where you can lose but losing doesn't mean you lost forever that's that's that would be about as good as you're gonna get you can't have an environment so we have somebody in the chat here and I'm sure they're just a good person's worried about well what, what if there's a bunch of losers in the end there will always be losers yeah. but the problem we have and I think this is why people are asking when you propose an alternative they're asking for some sort of utopia or assume it the two sides of our political dichotomy are constantly promising if we just did everything our way that, it that would, would all be losers. great you would there would be yeah. no more losers everything was just perfect. a lie and that's not going to work and it it yeah. makes me think of a saying i don't remember who originally said it but i'm very fond of it it's that the problem with learning by experiences is, is life first gives you the exam and then gives you the lesson yeah right but that <laughs> has like that. to be able to happen that mm-hmm. has to be able to happen if if you like there's people that are literally born with an inability to feel pain, physically feel pain, and you would think, oh, that's like a superhero problem, you know, power. No, it's an awful thing because that person doesn't know their body's being damaged. So if they touch a burner on a stove, we touch a burner on a stove, shit, it hurts. They're sitting there while their hand burns, right? So they can do an immense amount of damage to themselves because of this condition. And and Mm -hmm. like basically that's what you're describing. If we put all this insulated buffer around every major economic entity that's out there, because if they get hurt, somebody else will get hurt. Then they get to do all this damage and never feel it. But the internal damage, think of us, we're their internal organs. We get hurt. And the body of the giant is propped up forever with this miraculous, you know, lack of ability to be harmed. They're too big to fail. So we must, you know, keep the the giant animated.
1: That's a, that's a, that's a great analogy. It's, it's, you know, Profit or, or reward without loss or growth, economic growth without loss. Yeah. Is like happiness without sadness or comfort without pain. Like they, they just don't, it, it's just doesn't exist. You know, happy, like even in the context, like it's, it's relative, right? Is that you're only really happy one day because you, you know, it in relation to sadness. <laughs> like, you know, um, yeah. uh, but, uh, the, um, oh crap. There was a point that I had. That was a good analogy, and it threw me off. I forgot what I was going to say. We'll we'll
0: keep going. I'll I'll remember. I still die swan. I feel good about that. (laughs) Like so, I got your app in to be on the show, and the title of it was Bitcoin and Freedom. And I'm like, hell yeah, great, right? Can you talk about how you think freedom and Bitcoin are tied together? Because I think a lot of people don't believe that. And in my audience I have like the gamut of preppers in the in the prepper space too, that some are like mm-hmm. the we need a bunker in the ground and, and I try to talk those people off the ledge. And we get people that are just basically, I'm going to be prepared for life and design my lifestyle. And depending on which mm-hmm. side of that spectrum you land on, you have, you know, less and less faith in something like a Bitcoin, which I kind of think it should be the other way around. Like because all the things that people say is like, well that's why you shouldn't trust dollars. But yeah. I I think there is a huge link between Bitcoin basically. and Bitcoin. Right, yeah. Um, No,
1: I totally agree. Um, and it actually just reminded me of the point that I was going to make is when in the context of collective freedom is the ability to secure freedom as a society versus as an individual. It's, it's those individual defenses of freedom that done in aggregate, done with your community, with the people in your life is that is what leads to collective freedom. And it's the same thing with rights, human rights and all of that stuff. Like People who like think, oh, we should do this for the group and we should sacrifice the individual. No, the individual is the group. The group is the culmination of all the individuals. If you've sacrificed the rights or the life or the liberty of the individual to get something for the group, what you've done is you've sacrificed everything that allows the group to have life, liberty, and, and rights of any kind because you've you've destroyed the whole thing. You've destroyed the whole thing um, because the rights are to the individual. The group doesn't have a right. The group is a collection of individuals that either do or do not have rights. They do or do not have liberty. Um, but the example or the, the the other analogy that I was thinking of is that as politics becomes the dictates for what money is, um, as politics becomes the dictate of who gets subsidy, who gets subsidized or um, who survives in the economy and who doesn't, who picks winners and losers, you don't you don't end up in a society without winners and losers. You end up you move from a society that has economic winners and losers to political winners and losers, rather in an economic system where people who produce economically either succeed or people who destroy things economically, they they take losses, they lose, right? In a political economy, whether or not you're producing or providing something for other people is just kind of thrown out the window. It's whether or not you have political power. And then you simply have access to the things that people are actually producing. And every single incremental step further and further to a political economy is less production, is the creation of less value, is fewer resources available, and more and more... Who am I voting for? What's the law? What's the policy? Who's my best friend? I've got a cousin who knows a guy who knows that politician. I'm going to get a good contract. Like it just the, – the economic side of it and the economic side of it, the economic side of it goes away, and that's the only side that feeds people. You can't feed people with political power. The only thing you can do is use political power to steal food from somebody in an effort to redistribute it somewhere. But there's no mechanism to create food. Getting political power has absolutely nothing to do with feeding somebody. In fact, just the opposite. If people are afraid they're not going to be fed, if you create a crisis, that's the best way to get political power, is to promise them that you your power is the solution. The incentive of politics is to have permanent crises, because if there's not a crisis, there's no reason for political power. If everything's working, why why do we need – what's the importance to go scream and vote and protest and say, this is the guy that's going to fix everything? You have to create problems. Permanent problems are the fuel of government and political power.
0: I got this guy. His name I is not sure stuff. and he's going to fix everything in two weeks, right? I mean, like <laughs> that's literally the place we end up, but you know, you're talking about scarcity. So this, I might have heard this on your show, either something you read or somebody you interviewed, but <clears> it was that you can either have scarce money or scarce everything else. Those, the, those, that's, that's really your two choices in life. You have abundant yeah. money. Yeah. You have scarce everything else, right? If you have scarce money, you have abundant everything else because there's so much financial incentive to the production side that there mm-hmm. will be more food because more people will grow more food, that there will be more energy because more people will produce more energy. And so you can either have scarcity of everything. Or you have scarcity of money, and scarcity of money always seemed like a problem, and this was always a justification for inflation. Well, when there's more people and more stuff, we need more units of money. Without more units of money, how will be able to have enough money in enough people's hands? Well, with something you can push out to eight plus decimals, it's so instead of, of, of this kind of fractional reserve, I look at Bitcoin and I call it cap and fractionalize. So we can have as many like a sat can be a dollar someday. Right. Oh, yeah. God, God willing. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. but, but like it, it <laughs> actually a sat at that point. Right. So there's no there's no scarcity of units, but there is a cap on the total supply and therefore everything else can work because, you know, I did a lot of work in permaculture over the years as well. And I've, I've mm-hmm. done talks where I've talked about abundance mentality and, and what abundance brings and what scarcity brings is war. So like if you go back thousands of years, there were men who stabbed and, and beat and killed other men over salt. Yeah. Right. There were wars fought over pepper, salt and pepper. Men spilled the blood of other men for salt and pepper. That doesn't happen now. Why? Because we have new technologies and there is no problem procuring salt and pepper. There's no, there's no need for conflict because there's an abundance. And if if you need salt, then you go get a job and you buy some fricking salt right? Or you go do something of value and you get some salt. And that's not utopian. That doesn't mean everybody will have everything they want. What it means is that we'll have enough production that people who try harder in our meritocracy can procure what they're looking for.
1: Yeah. It's funny. The solution to everything is wealth and prosperity for the individual. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Like, like environmentalist, environmentalism is so backwards. Um, like, I mean, not to mention that just kind of on its face, it's it's this kind of anti-human thing in the in the very political sense these days. Um, like there are still real environmentalists out there. Um, yeah. But the political environmental movement is a disaster. But their whole idea is that we're going to make everybody poor to stop using energy and we're going to clean everything up. I'll tell you right now, there is nobody who gives a shit less about the environment than a poor person. Like yeah. poverty is the environmental disaster. Like, far and wide, it is the environmental disaster. Like, people, like, people in India, they don't, <laughs> like, the, like, the, the poor in the third world countries and in the developing countries that have not kind of broken through that threshold yet to kind of the modern economy. They're the ones who shit in the rivers. They're the ones who, like, don't, like, they're desperate to get any sort of, pla- like, it's just trash, it's just, like they they can't even build structures for their houses. they are worried about whether or not they can eat in four hours, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. rightfully so, they should not worry about the environment. Wealth is what makes you care. Nobody in seventeen in eighteen hundreds was having candlelight vigils over a glacier. you know, like nobody like or over poverty or over child labor. Like these things were part these things were normal parts of life. And if somebody complained about the environment it's like, I don't care. I'm hungry. I don't care. My family, my family is going to die next winter if I don't have enough fuel to keep us warm. Poverty is the environmental disaster. It is only after you create a degree of prosperity and wealth that people wake up and they go, wow, I'm actually having consequences. You know, like I actually have like externalities for the things that I do. I should actually adjust. And I help. Ha- I have this property. I should take care of it. You know, I own something in the world. Let me make it nice. Let me make it clean. Um, and it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, like so, we fix the money. If we don't fix the money, all of that stuff is just going to stay misaligned. The incentives are going to stay in the wrong direction, and we're going to have this this ever trend towards in the wrong direction. I mean, I think there's a lot of correcting forces just because of the technology, but the, the money, the money is at the heart of all of it. Like the money is the power of the modern world. Like you can't do anything without, without money. Nothing at all. You know, well, like what, what can you do? What, what have you ever done that you literally did by yourself completely? Like that you didn't need a tool that somebody else made, that you didn't need a material that somebody else dug out of the ground. And what did what did you get with that? You got money. You used money to get money that. Money to buy it. Yeah. The, the ability to man, man, manipulate money is economic omnipotence. It's the ability to buy and consume any and all resources that exist anywhere without ever contributing anything yourself. To the economic system,
0: the ultimate rent-seeking behavior, it's right? I mean, power. that really is like it's you the control power. money. It's God, yeah. it's I, I say it's the one ring, right? The one ring from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? It is, it is mm-hmm. the ultimate power, and that's. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Bitcoin there. maximalism next, and it's it's what I've come up with as to why there really are like eight hundred bazillion useless cryptocurrencies, because yeah. especially now with advances on the Lightning Network and all, what can be done with Bitcoin these guys come out with a tech that doesn't exist, but they need a token to fuel the tech. So we're going to make this thing. It's going to be a distributed VPN or whatever. So make the thing mm-hmm. and then sell the thing. But no, they don't do that. They come out with a token to pre-sell the thing. Then they cash in on the token and they go away. And to me, that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. I think there's some projects out there, you know, that are kind of well-meaning that we're done with, you know, no pre-mine, no founders reserve. Like, they're not as bad, but I think that in the end, it's very difficult for somebody to resist the ability to print money. So let's say I, I, I mean well. I'm going to build the Brave browser, which, by the way, is a great product. I'm talking to you through it right now. But, you know, they came out with the basic attention token, and they, they sold $35 million worth of, of it on their IPO or ICO before they made it illegal to do it that way. So they were one of the last ones to get through. Even And they built a good product. They're one of the rare exceptions that did one of these things and then they built a thing and it did the thing they said it was going to do. If I'm that person and that power exists, it's very hard. And so what keeps you a maximalist? Because you are a Bitcoin maximalist. A lot of people say it means you're in a cult. Do you think it's a cult or do you think it's just an admission that this is the purest form of money we have? I'm a
1: Bitcoin maximalist because of economics and network effects.
0: Okay.
1: That is everything (laughs) that I have learned In that regard, all of the principles, I think, just align to the fact that monetary pressures coalesce. They converge heavily, heavily so. Same is true of networks, network protocols in particular. You know, we might use a different browser. Like, I could be on Chrome. I'm actually on Brave. But (laughs) I I could be on Chrome. Like, we could be on multiple social medias, right? Like, And those have strong network effects. Those have strong network effects, but they don't have they don't have total network effects you can still use facebook i can still use twitter whatever it is but we're both using TCP/IP. we're both communicating with the same protocol and i think people discount how how deep how base some of these technologies are and there is nothing kind of more base than money money is literally the foundation of all of it now also monetary shifts Happen insanely slowly, like incredibly slowly, like the shift from literally glass beads to gold, uh, along the African coast took a century. It literally took a century for like the, the, the currency of, um, uh, some of the major currencies of the African continent to essentially be fully demonetized. Okay. Money is incredibly slow moving because it is the base layer and uh, just like you're talking about is that like all these projects they're i i I do agree that some of them at least some of them are well intentioned, but it's just too easy, and I know it's too easy because I even considered it myself like It's too easy to look to see somebody copy and paste something and make a token, spin up a hundred dollar website with some cool graphics they got off of Fiverr and, you know, just change some shit in a white paper and post it and make millions and millions of dollars. And people have been doing this for years with no real project. And even, even so, like the basic attention token, the bat token is a great example because it's got nothing to do with Brave. It's no, absolutely not really. it's not like it's not like they're even trying to support some infrastructure or incentivize people to run nodes or you know have a decentralized storage unit thing for yeah. brave users. No, it's nothing. They just sold a token. They just they just made a spreadsheet and put a bunch of points on it and sold it for money. Who could possibly turn that down? It's very hard not to, it's very hard not to just do that when you think I could even be anonymous, you know? Yeah. You have to have – you have to, like, really – you have to be able to sleep at night, you know? There's a part of you that has to know that, like, you know, you're considering that purely for money's sake. You just want somebody else to do the bag holder. You don't want to produce any economic value. You just want to sell the token and get wealthy. Um, and if you recognize that that's what it is, you just know you're not going to be able to pull it off. Like, you're just going to feel guilty, and you're going to – I'm like – Like, that's why I would never do it. You know, back in 2017, I considered, I was like, there's, there could be a reason to do this. And I tried to justify it. You know, I'll do a project. (laughs) There's so many cool things that you could build with this. But then, but then you just go like, man, I'm gonna feel like a jackass. Yeah. I'll have sold a shit coin for no reason, you know. But the legitimate projects, I think they just, they hurt for funds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and there was this, a, the seemingly, one of the fascinating things that Bitcoin did was it funded infrastructure. You know, like, like with the, the idea of the time chain and the network where the, the network itself paid people to put up network infrastructure. And so at the beginning, like back during the Namecoin days in 2012, I guess was the first, when was Namecoin popped up? I don't know it was a, it seemed like a brilliant idea to me like at the time there was a lot of discussions about how you could use this infrastructure this system to create other other things um and could you create it on top of bitcoin did you have to create it on something else um and it took a lot of years to realize that this was just going to be a grifter's dream um yeah yeah but uh namecoin was attempting to do this with a dns server because who wouldn't want decentralized dns um and so some of the earliest projects were actually Half legitimate, in my opinion. Like I would agree. They,
0: they I did my Bitcoin just, just to be open and honest. I, yeah. I really did. I made money yeah. on it too. I didn't make it the way you're talking, like rolling one out and capitalizing. But I've you know bought mm-hmm. and sold at the right time or what have you. But mm-hmm. you know my disclaimer mm-hmm. with that is always if I had just kept every side I ever bought and never did any of that, I'd be ahead. That, I mean that yeah you just I'd get, be ahead. Yeah.
1: yeah, 2017 was the last time I trade, traded shit coins and I did great. Oh God! I did great during the bull run, and then I got obliterated. Yeah, like as soon as it turned you around, get wrecked, like, and then you why learn why do do this? Yeah, like, got I kind of the, knew got the you know, there was like there was Life that little that little guy in yeah. the back of my mind. It was like you're gonna get burned so bad. You, you're you're screwing yourself. So Life much. gave
0: you the test, and then it gave you the lesson. That's and we've all done it. The place I've always been more open, and I think even a lot of Maxis are, is toward the privacy side of things because. Mm -hmm. There is a desire for privacy, but I think more and more is coming. I think that, you know, Michael Saylor kind of like makes the analogy that Bitcoin's the biggest, fastest, quickest predator that's ever existed in the monetary goods space. It's like a lion the size of a T-Rex. And given time, it will eat everything. And I, even when I was into some shit coins, I would always say in the end, guys, it's all, that's all gambling. Bitcoin will probably eat everything. And, so it there's a lot of tech being developed right now. Lightning is incredibly exciting to me. A lot of things are lightning. Oh, yeah. What are your thoughts? What do you think like the most interesting and important project or projects in Bitcoin are right now? I think probably
1: the the next ones in line that I'm excited about are DLCs and uh, discrete law contracts uh, this is this fancy way of saying um, uh, uh, contracts that Here's an example, just for simplicity, is the ability to have someone else's signature be the determining factor in something, even though they're not part of the transaction. So like, okay. let's say you and me have a, uh, NFL, um, does, uh, uh, post an announcement that team A versus team B won, and they sign it. Because, okay. And we're, you know, watching the game. Before the game, we put, uh, we put one whole Bitcoin, into a multi-sig, locked with the NFL signature. And you bet Team A is going to win, and I bet Team B is going to win. Well, when the NFL posts the answer to Team A or Team B, one of us gets the Bitcoin based on their answer, based on their signature. So they can be the arbiter of our contract Mm. without even having a clue that the contract occurs. They don't even know they did it. They don't even know it happened. Um, and obviously gambling is just kind of like the simple example, but you can do all sorts of things. You can have, um, this is how you can have markets. Commodities and
0: future trading. You can, have, right?
1: you can essentially have non-custodial trading markets. Like you can have non-custodial options contracts. Yeah. Um, like the, this is, this is how you actually get DeFi. Um, and then on top of that, you can build that on top of lightning. Like you can do that within a lightning channel and within lightning payments. Um, so, and lightning obviously is, is the first major scaling model for Bitcoin. And I think it's going to be kind of, when I look out into the future as to what's going on or or how, um, How Bitcoin will scale and kind of embrace all of the features and all of the bandwidth needed to accomplish everything that we dream Bitcoin will accomplish. I see it a lot like the internet is originally like at the beginning of the internet. Um, there was actually this explosion of alternative protocols and curated internet experiences where you would just connect to some server and then they would be your, they would be your internet window and they would just tell you what you needed to see and they would advertise for you and like all this stuff. And it wasn't really the internet. It was the CompuServe network. It was uh uh what's our man, what's the other one? Big one. I can't remember that. AOL. But AOL. Yeah, there was AOL, like that was another one. Um and uh but and even like IPv4 is the standard IP address system that we still use today, and IPv5 was an attempt to build in streaming like like redesign it so that the base layer so that the IP address system would actually accommodate streaming in a different way than normal stuff and uh i think it was actually john postel um who's really great uh he he was the one who kind of like kept kept the layered architecture and the the proper engineering mindset to to the internet and he, he even he even made a comment about it like saying like like we're really violating the layers the, the layered engineering model and the, the the way that you actually make something robust and secure in IPv5 died, um, and then IPv6 was trying to solve the potential scaling problem, is that IPv4, the address space, is basically tiny. Like, we filled it up in, like, the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Like, we have way more devices on the Internet than we actually have IP addresses for. But what did we do? We started aggregating them. We started having each address on the internet account for one device, two devices, three devices, and now we all have our own home network. That's why whenever you look up your IP address on your um, uh, 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 when you look on your like your home network or whatever, you're always 192.168.1. blah. Um, it's because all local networks have the same ID- IP address space, uh, but what you actually have is one router with one IP that's then splitting it into 10, 20, 253 devices on the local network. Um, I think we'll do the same. I think we'll actually have a lot of the same scaling uh, model in Bitcoin. Is that when you see one address, it will actually account for a whole small payment network. It will be an aggregate of 30 different people of a family trust or something, you know, and what we, what I've seen with like the, the lightning security model, like how they do the channels so that yeah. you're actually not trusting your channel partner. Justice, um, and right. then you do that, you do that with like multi-sig, like collaborative multi-sig. Some of the designs and systems that are coming out, like it's so, it's so cool. And they're making it intuitive with things like nunchuck. Um, It's a wallet that I've been using a lot recently that I'm just kind of fascinated with because it's like a, it's collaborative multi-sig, but just like, other people like in an encrypted chat. So you're just chatting and then you can have funds that are like behind a five of seven multisig with everybody involved. And you can be like, all right, we're going to send a transaction. This is our business, right? Like we've we've set up a little community thing and we have funds together. And to make a transaction, you have to uh, you have to have all you have to have five of the seven people uh, sign it. And you just post it in your chat. You're just like, this is a transaction. One person is, has signed it. Everybody check on it. And they're like, all right, do it. Let's let's go, let's go. And then they sign and they sign. It just ticks up until you broadcast. Um, and it's like right in a little chat window. It's so cool. Um, but with like systems like these, as these start to expand and then you have DLCs, you have, uh, you have this huge payment net, like liquid high bandwidth from a context of like money in a context of like how much Bitcoin is on it, um, payment network. In the lightning network um man the amount of things that you're going to be able to do with it uh and then then there's like oh god there's something like shadow chains which is a whole nother thing but it basically takes the lightning network security model and allows you to have complete program agnosticism so it doesn't even matter what code you run on it i would run a client with it's like one of those things that like i can run a website online and i don't even have to Broadcast it, I don't have to let anybody know that I'm running a website, but I could give you the i p address and you could come to it and it could just be a website for the two of us. period yeah, you yeah. can now do that with financial services with a model called shadow chains. We can actually do a non custodial relationship. you run the software for the financial service. I run the software for the financial service has nothing to do with Bitcoin script you know I mean it could be an ethereum vp uh uh, uh Oh, God, what do they call it? The, the the machine, Ethereum machine? Jesus Christ. Whatever. It could be some Ethereum smart contract. It could be uh, a tiny Monero chain. It doesn't matter. It's completely agnostic to the programming. But if you're running the the, the code and I'm running the code and we get the exact same answer, the out, the same output for the program, we can actually lock the funds to that output. So if we get anything different. If you get something different on your computer and I get something different on mine, there's not consensus between our two clients, gotcha. well then you just get your funds back. You just you just wait for the time lock to go out. And the essentially the agreement just never goes through because something was wrong. The program was wrong. It was a bug, or I tried to cheat you. Um but it had nothing to do with Bitcoin. Bitcoin has no idea. Bitcoin saw the hash of the program. And because of that, we can actually run any smart contract system decentralized infrastructure whatever the hell it is like what it's being used for right now is uh, a lightning liquidity marketplace is lightning labs is running one of these and what you do is you you lock up funds you you put your funds non-custodially into this marketplace and they market make they they match buyers and sellers with i need lightning liquidity i'm willing to pay 1% APY to have somebody open a big fat channel with me so that I can receive payments um, and I want it for this span of time, right? And then somebody else makes an offer and says, I have liquidity. This is what I want the price. I want to open up a channel with you. Uh, you have to have this amount of liquidity, blah, blah, blah. And they match buyer and seller. Now, everyone's running the client. Everyone's running the software. Now, obviously that market Is not on the Bitcoin chain. It's not built out of Bitcoin script. Simply the output of the program is what's locking everyone's funds. So either everything goes through. Buyer is matched with seller. Lightning Labs is an honest player or the answer to everybody's program is not the same and nothing happens. Everybody just gets their funds back. That is that's that's non
0: custodial financial services. That's insane. That's that is insane. insane. And I know there's people out there going, that'll never directly pertain to me. It will, and you won't know it the same way you don't think about the fact you're using TCIP, TCPIP right now to watch, yeah. watch Guy and I have this conversation. It is, yeah. it is the back end. And if it's running in lightning, then we it have this liquidity, which just pulls more Bitcoin out of circulation and locks it up. That's like lightning will be the ultimate hobbler, right? Or some other layer. And this is, this is what I've kind of like, I've had a lot of discussions with the, Bitcoin cash people and all this about like lightning not being good because it's not on chain or, or what have you. And I'm like, then you don't understand how gold worked and ran the world for thousands of years. If, if you're going to say that, because you have Bitcoin as this base layer, which is exactly what it should be. And that means if we're going to spin up something like the lightning network, let's say lightning had been an absolute disaster and didn't work. It would have meant nothing to Bitcoin there'd be a lot of things that we can do with Bitcoin right now that we wouldn't be all excited about doing. But if lightning had failed and, you know, guy swan thing had been a competing idea and it had worked, then you've done nothing to harm Bitcoin. You know, all the ideas about let's increase the block size and, and, you know, with the amount of transactions that go on Bitcoin, you do that. And in a few years, you'd be buying a two terabyte hard drive once a day to keep up if, if you took that approach. So by being conservative with the base layer and then saying, okay, you want something to do, do something that the base layer doesn't do by itself. You build a layer on top of it and you use, you use this base layer unit. We call a Satoshi as the funding mechanism as the money in your system. Now people can go nuts. They can try anything. They can do anything and failure can fail without risking this, perfect entity that we have sitting underneath it. And it may not be perfect, but I'll call it perfect until you show me something better. So to yeah. me, in the sense, this instance, perfect is it that doesn't have any flaws. Perfect is it's as good as we can do right now. That's what mm-hmm. perfect is for money. It's as good. Like gold was never perfect. And Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin is a better base money than gold. But at a, there was a time in history where you couldn't make an argument that gold wasn't the most perfect thing, but like a dimmer switch the highest level of of, uh, of perfectness that we have attained was in gold. And I think that's kind of where we are with this. And I, I see all these layered technologies as very protective of Bitcoin. Allow the innovation, allow people to go nuts and don't screw up the code. You know, Satoshi said like once, you know, once the first version of the code was there, it's it, it's done. Don't mess with it anymore.
1: Exactly, exactly. And And what's funny is that, you know, there's an element of, what we want is the security of Bitcoin without needing to permanently store all of this data. Correct. But with Bitcoin, with the ownership model of Bitcoin, there's no way to secure, to get the monetary assurances without all of the data. And the whole point of Bitcoin being programmable is that you can actually, you can leverage that security. You can leverage those monetary assurances. And what happens is Bitcoin becomes the ownership network. It becomes the, the giant decentralized can't be shut down can't be compromised incorruptible court for who owns what correct with a decentralized payment network built on top of it so the beauty of lightning is that you don't have to broadcast all of your payments is that it's the you know actually great a great analogy going back to the internet it's amazing how many like models for thinking like if you learn how the Internet works and how it's developed, how much you can extrapolate to be like, holy shit, this could really work for Bitcoin. This is a great way of thinking about how to accomplish these things. One of those things is the difference between Ethernet and TCP IP um, is that Ethernet – like, or well, I guess it's IP and TCP uh, okay. because you've got the routing – you've got the address protocol, the broadcast protocol, and then the routing protocol. And what that means is that like when you originally set up a network on the Internet and you would connect your computers together, like when the university network was up and there was only like 10 devices or 20 devices in major universities, um, what would happen is that when you would broadcast a message, when you're trying to communicate with somebody on the Internet, you would literally it would, it's like on your local network. You still do this on your local network. You just don't do this on the Internet. You would blast it out to everybody you would you would put a header that says this this message it's for this computer or this device specifically and then you would just send it you're just push you don't know where the device is you're just flood it onto the network and then every other device picks it up checks the header is this for me no it's not and if it's not for them if it is for them then they take it and they read it and they're like oh this is this is a packet that somebody sent me if it isn't then they just they check it and then they send it on to the next computer and it would just flood the network Every single computer, every device would get every single message in order to find out which message was for that one computer. That does not scale. That does not scale. Imagine if your phone had to receive every text message on planet Earth, check it and find out, oh, it's not this text message, is not my text message, and then reject them all to find its own text messages. We needed a routing protocol. And that's where the TCP IP stack came in. We developed a way to route packets on top of that network where it only routed through the exact computers needed to arrive at its destination. So rather than me flooding my message out to every single computer everywhere, we would ping until we would get we would ping just to find the other device and then I would have a route, like if you actually like bring up a terminal and you just do like tr- a TR- TRC tr- a trace route, trace route, um, to 8.8.8.8. Uh, Gosh, 8. 8. 8. 8. I just spelled it wrong. Well, whatever. If you, if you just bring it up and you just do it on your computer, you can, you can ping the DNS server for Google and it will show you exactly which computers you went through. It'll show you your local ISP uh, mm-hmm. address. But the thing is, is you went through like 12 computers to get to your local hub, your neighborhood hub, your your local hub, your uh, your ISP. You went through a trunk line to get to the regional hub in the middle of the country, and then you went to the trunk line to get to the other side of the country and then the back down the, lo- the local hub ladder until you got to the server in, in Google. But nobody else got your message. You routed it to exactly where it needed to go. It officially became peer-to-peer, right? Bitcoin is the broadcast layer. When you make a transaction on the Bitcoin chain, you are, you are taking that data and you are blasting it out to everybody in the whole freaking world, everybody on the Bitcoin network. The Lightning Network is the routing layer. What you're doing is you're allocating certain Bitcoin to a, to a channel and you're connecting to other entities, to other Bitcoin nodes with their channels. And you just ping to find a route to get exactly where it needs to go. So that you don't have to broadcast it, you don't have to store that information forever. And in doing so, you you 100x, you 1,000x the ability to fulfill payments by making Bitcoin the ownership layer and the liquidity layer for a decentralized payment network on top of it. And the payments don't have to be stored; they make it to their destination. You update the 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 insurance contract. You up the, you update the the state of the channel, and then you just delete it forever. You're done. You never need that payment again. Nobody has to store it on their hard drive. Correct. Like, it's just done. Um, so, and if you want privacy, that's the only way you're going to do it.
0: Yeah. Right. Because you that move all the goes payments the off the chain. Even like, if, if you, you sniff out the default. node operators, if you sniff out the node operators, that's all good and well, but you haven't sniffed out all the users of the nodes. The, that, that, that's that gone. And I kind of look at it like my, my real low tech way to explain it is imagine you go to a bar and I'm, I'm there hanging out with Guy Swan and a couple other people. We're going to sit around and drink some scotch on the rocks and some other drinks, old-fashioned or something. We're going to spend some money, and the bartender says, well, how do you want to pay tonight? And I say, cash. Well, he's going to be like, well, I don't know you, and I don't know him, and I don't know any of you people, so I need a credit card, and I'll let you settle the bill in cash. So we and hundreds of other people in that same bar I'll give that bartender a a credit card, and it sits there with our name on it, right? In this case, it would be just with a number on it. And we have our drinks, and then the end of the night comes, and then we settle. And when we settle, Mm -hmm. that's like that. those Satoshis leaving the Lightning Network and going back on chain. And mm-hmm. they give us the bartender gives the credit card back. So I go up and I say, "Well, how much is it?" And he says, uh, "It's uh, it's four hundred bucks." That guy swan drinks a shitload, of it, you know. And I say, "Well, I want to tip you too." I didn't know I was that deep into this, but I'm like, "Okay, I only have like four hundred bucks on me, and this is going to be like a six hundred dollars bar Run running on the card." But one way or another, there was an assurance the settlement was going to occur. Yeah, and that yeah. I think that should make people a lot more comfortable. And then nobody you know, could cheat
1: and- anybody, which was the whole
0: point. Yeah, you can't yeah. cheat. If you do, that's why the liquidity is there. And I think they call it literally justice where like you did something unfavorable yeah. with your note and then the liquidity is just taken away. Um, and, and that covers, covers the bar tab at the end, right? I think that, and then my other side of that though is right now anyway, for the average user, lightning is for small transactions. So I also say mm-hmm. like, let's go back to the bar analogy. I'm not gonna walk around with my entire Bitcoin stack on a lightning yeah. wallet. I'm not gonna do that, right? Maybe if I was running some big project, I'd push a bunch in there for liquidity. But as an average user, I'm not gonna. So I'm gonna keep about as much in a lightning wallet as I would keep cash in my pocket. And if something mm-hmm. does happen, I'm my life's not I'm not happy, but my life's not over. We've all lost a fifty dollar bill or a couple twenties or something. Like that's yeah. and it's getting easier and easier to move between the two as well, right? Like mm-hmm. I did want to ask you about something. I don't know if you've dug into this yet. I just heard about these, and I my jury's out. I don't I don't know enough to have an opinion yet. But uh, mini mints, which are using some sort of blind signatures to create I basically meant, a completely private local mm-hmm. like and you could use it as like a localized circular economy. So there's your in permaculture we call it lets, but it's using Satoshi's. Mm-hmm. And you've got these federated mini mints, and apparently they can't really see anything. And then I, I don't, but I don't know enough. Like I'm comfortable saying go ahead and use lighting. I'm not, I'm not there with this other tech yet. Yeah. The, so the Fediment idea idea
1: um, is a really cool idea, um, but it's it's a federated model. So you know Chalmian eCash and some of the early like cyberpunk ideas uh, were brilliant because you could actually send money over the banking network without the bank actually knowing who was sending money to who. So you actually had privacy against the, like the blind signature idea was brilliant. But the problem is, is that you had to get uh, the banks on board and the banking network was a centralized network and the monetary unit was a centralized monetary unit. So it was permissioned, which means you just couldn't do it without their, without them getting on board, which is what ultimately killed it. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, and it was just too easy to shut down the, the remarkable thing about having a decentralized settlement and base layer monetary network is now you can do this without anybody's permission. Now you can actually set these things up and you can use this same Chalmian, the blind signature concept to create a payment, another payment layer, again, on top of Bitcoin uh, that uh, that is a federated model, but the federation itself does not have the slightest clue who is transacting with whom so uh it, it's basically like a black box you you send your bitcoin into this black box that's held with a multi sig this giant multi sig of like thirty or a hundred different businesses or whatever it is like you know a bunch of services that you use so it's a semi trusted relationship it's not on like um not unlike liquid or something okay. um, like the liquid side chain that blockstream does um so it's rather than having to trust one entity that could run away with your money, you're essentially trusting uh, a group of a, a large group of entities that, you know, and have their own individual reputations and they have to essentially, uh, they have to conspire, they have to,
0: right? They have to conspire. Exactly.
1: They have to conspire and be all evil <laughs> together to basically cause you a problem. And all you have to do is have a, um, uh, I think the way it works i haven't I haven't dug into the threshold, but I think it's like a third of them can defend the uh oh, okay. defend it so like only a third of them actually need to be honest um so if you had can I can't remember exactly don't don't quote me on that that might I understand be that we're not sure
0: but if if that were true yeah. if you had ten in a federation, you would need eight bad actors
1: yeah yeah okay um okay. uh so but but regardless, so the thing is is really kind of the, the major security there is that they don't know who to screw because it's a blind signature model. They don't really know whose transactions are whose, and they don't have anything that they can reverse because it's just one big batch and they have no idea what's going on inside of it. Um And uh so it's a really clever, really and then clever my, my
0: understanding, let's say um, I came in with like a 10th of a Bitcoin, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to be, Acting in this group or using this federated thing like our, our local bank between merchants within the yeah. bank. Basically, I'm issued a, a digital certificate for point Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And if I want to exit that digital certificate is what lets me exit and move money outside of that, that chain or put it back onto the Bitcoin chain or what have you. Mm-hmm. And then it can move between my understanding also is it can move between federated mints. Like yeah. groups of federation, it's on lightning in between the clusters, right? It sounds yeah, the very thing cool. Is those
1: federated, those federated models can actually have massive federated channels between them, and you yes. can actually have this, this like these ten, twenty party federations that are connected to hundreds of other federations. Federation. And lightning network actually is the bridge between them, and the entire thing is private and inst- instantly settled. Um, I'll just say for
0: permaculture people, (laughs) read chapter 14, man. That's, I mean, it literally is (laughs) that it's automating local first. And then when you go outside, you go outside to other groups that you wish to do business with next. And you only go outside of like, so you have your, your close network, your extended network, and then you have, okay, if we can't do it, then and only then will we go outside. But since it's Bitcoin, it's fungible outside because what's destroyed every local currency in history is people would only take so much of it because if I got to pay my electric bill, I can't pay my electric bill. Mm-hmm. In the end, it came down to, I, you know, and then like Ithaca hours was like, well, I'm a doctor. Why isn't my hour of my time worth the same as a babysitter's time? Right. It's, it's, yeah. it solves it all that and it, it automates it at the speed of light. Um, what do you think the biggest hurdle or drawback in Bitcoin is and why? Like I think a lot of times those of us who are really believers in what this is all about, people think that we don't have anything that we would change or anything that we would do differently, or or we won't acknowledge that maybe there are forces in the world that aren't exactly friendly to us and that they could cause a problem.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's plenty. If you gave me a magic wand and said like, how would you redesign Bitcoin or whatever? Uh, Sure, there's plenty of little things to fix. Like just like there's quirks of just like there's quirks of the internet, but we're not going to be able to change IPv4 at this point, right? We're so locked in, um, and that's kind of the nature of a consensus model. Like there's even like there's a little quirk on uh, Bitcoin that you have to put in an extra zero in the. Um, uh, it's not the timestamp. It's it's like in the signature spot or something, and you just have to do it because otherwise it just doesn't work and it's pointless. But it's just there. And because it's part of the consensus, you can't, you can't undo it. It's just stuck, right? Um, so it is kind of like the, it's a little bit like the constitution in that way. It's kind of funny is that like all of the, everything that was like a little bit wrong or needed to be fixed is still stuck there. You know, you, all you could do is mark it out and do something else with it, but you couldn't, you couldn't remove it. You couldn't remove it without actually changing the consensus code. Um, so. Uh, there's plenty of little things that could be optimized, but the thing is, is that the network effect and the assurances and the unbelievable value in the security that you get from Bitcoin greatly outweighs the, the need to change some of those little quirks. Um, right now though, if, if there was one thing I talk about this on the show a lot, um, is, uh, when like I'm at my hierarchy of, what I think are the most important things it's like top, top of the line is monetary assurances. Like Bitcoin is 21 million period. End of story. Second is like, hold your own, hold your keys, uh, not your keys, not your coins. Um, like, so custody, self custody. And then third is privacy. And, and that is the one thing where I wished we, I wish we had a better solution at this point, but I think maintaining the monetary assurances in the face of figuring out how to scale has kind of been the main thing right now. Like that's 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 been the biggest hurdle of how do we maintain this network and we grow it and we we actually make this able to accommodate the whole world. Um and how do we do that without losing part two? You know, not your keys, not your coins. Um how how do we have it so that we'd still decentralized and everybody can run their own node and everybody everybody can validate the rules for themselves? Um and now I think there's been a resurgence of focus on privacy. You know, it's always been kind of like that. It's always been there in the cypherpunk ideal is that we eventually want to get to something private. But if we don't have something decentralized, permissionless and incorruptible, like censorship resistant, then privacy doesn't matter. Right? Like we, we've lost the ability to maintain the privacy down the road. So I think we have our order of operations proper. It's just, yeah we still have such a privacy concern at this day and age when it's needed for like the trucker convoy. And you know, we're, we're in, we're in the trenches now, so to speak, we're getting into that era. Um, and the things like Fetiment, um, I think lightning is a huge benefit to privacy. A lot of people, um kind of shit on it because you can still see like channel data and stuff, but really the, Sure, like you could still see things on chain. I mean, the in fact, the network itself is public. Like I broadcast which channels are mine. But the yeah. idea is that the payments, the payments are private. The payments yeah. are not board. When I am paying somebody, like if I pay you over Lightning or whatever, if I donated, you don't even know which node it's coming from.
0: No, like, no, I might know really this is guy's node, but I I don't know what payments that went through guy's node are guy's payments. And yeah. I the, the bigger thing is you don't know. Right. Like you can run your node and be all happy. And maybe your node ends up being in my my chain of events that get move my payment through because your node is connected to the right other place. And it's an expedient way for that payment to go. Mm -hmm. That's all onion routed. Like and then the onions rewrap each handoff. So you don't even know where you are. You don't know if you're the the third node in that chain or if you're the fifth. You have no idea. So literally somebody came to you and put a gun in your head and said, we want to know if they could even see right like we want to know who did this i you, you can't give the answer because you don't have the information which to me that is the only defense against government requesting information from you is to legitimately be able to make the statement of i cannot give it to I you you do not have it i can't give you i can't give you what i don't have like if they if they came up with a thing where they remanded you to give a password to a laptop they threw a guy in jail years ago in like, for contempt of court in colorado for months that guy sat in jail because he wouldn't give up a password but they knew that he knew the password Right. Mm-hmm. They knew he had mm-hmm. the information because it was his computer. If you say to me, Jack, I want you to give me the identity of the person that made an on-chain Bitcoin payment to me. But mm-hmm. I didn't keep a record of I don't keep records of people's Bitcoin addresses. I don't do that. Maybe Coinbase yeah. does, but I don't. I can't tell you who sent me this $50 membership payment because I literally don't know. I know the person, but I don't know they're connected to that transaction. It's up to you to find out. Yeah. And I think that is yeah. that is one of our – I think for me, I think one of our biggest things that holds Bitcoin back is being able to clearly and articulately explain it to people who have not done the work that you and I and many people listening to this have done to fully understand it. And I think we need better ways of explaining it than things like have fun not being poor, right? <laughs> I don't know that that's – or have fun being poor. Like I don't know that that's a really great way uh, uh, to do that. I think there's so much – And I'll admit when I came into it, number go up is good. So like that's the original attraction. And -hmm. it takes time for people to actually digest something that's completely counter to everything that they've ever been taught that they ever know. And it's like, I was saying about that one episode of your show, the the smarter that person is and the more the existing system has benefited, the more cognitive dissonance is this, this can't be right. Mm -hmm. Um, But on that, I want your take on this. So, I've heard a lot of the whole, you know, we need to get away from the whole code bros type, you know, everybody's a carnivore. Everybody's a libertarian. Um, what are you talking about? They, Bullshit. Bullshit. We, we need, should, to, they need to go global. Right. Like, so, like, the, the, the idea is we need to bring people in that are, you know, liberals and GOP, you know, centrist Republicans and socialists mm-hmm. from freaking UK and all. And I'm like, money does that shit on its own over time as it matures, but what I've actually noticed is that there's a lot of people that come into the Bitcoin space and they're not, you know, carnivore keto eaters. They're not working out, right? They're mm-hmm. not, they're not taking care of themselves physically. They're not. Freedom and liberty oriented when they do. They just, their buddy, YOLO'd into it. He's worth a lot of money and I'm going to throw some money at (laughs) this. And then they put some money in it and either they make it or they don't through their first bull, their first bear market. That's, you know, that has to happen. You're going to have one. Um, But if they do and they stick around and they start learning more, I see a lot of gravity pulling people into that. The stereotype exists because people end up there, not because they start there. Is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I've seen a Mm -hmm. lot of this. Somebody comes into Bitcoin. Next thing you know, they're homesteading. They're putting solar on their roof. Like Brian's put solar on his roof and he's mining with his surplus. He's not making Mm -hmm. a lot of money on it, but it's worth more that way than it is selling it back to the electric company for three cents a kilowatt. Right. They're they're, they're learning about defending themselves. They're, they're moving out of the cities and getting a little bit more rural. They're, they're getting involved in more anarchist or libertarian, hopefully libertarian, uh, anarchist ideals. Hopefully it's a short flirtation with the LP if it goes there. Um, and, and I think the code bros thing, I think, is just somebody threw that on, like, to spike the football because I'm not a code bro, dude. I can't. The last code I wrote was some PHP back in like 2011. I, I don't code anything, <laughs> right? I don't, I, that's above me. Some of the stuff you said today is a little bit of, I have to struggle to understand it. Uh, but I do think there's. Sorry, I get jargony sometimes. Right? I try that's not okay. to. But, yeah. but do you think there is, like, what do you think causes that kind of mass that pulls people into that whole space? Uh, man, that's a good
1: question. That's a cultural question. Yeah. Um, you know, like culture is, and it's, is itself like a network. It's, it's a way to communicate. It, it's a language. It's a form of language, right? Um, it's, it's a language of values, uh, rather than an explicit language of, in the context of like information and in words. Um, where what's funny is that words can actually influence those. Um, and you know, words mean different things to different people. Same words. Um, and, Particularly, your values often inform the definition of words, like or how you relate to those words. you know, like I say capitalism it means something completely different to me than to who I'm talking to a lot of the times, and what's fundamentally different about how they view that, of course, just flatly, there's definition differences, but a lot of it's values, a lot of it is how you relate to what's important like like how you see the group versus the individual, like, like these sort of more fundamental things. But capital in and of itself, uh, like money is a powerful force for directing and for directing our understanding and evaluation of the world around us. This is why I think the culture has been poisoned because we become a political economy. And when people are rewarded for having political having shallow idiotic political whim you know political values, well then people start embracing political values because they see people get rewarded they see people get attention they see people um, they they hear it over, it and, over and over and over again because right. they're designated they get their resources to spread that culture um, to influence more and more people. As Bitcoin becomes monetized and as we go through these, you know, spikes and crashes, the real Bitcoiners are built in the bear markets. The real yeah. Bitcoiners are built after a shit ton of red candles when people realize what this thing really is, why it matters and that it's here to stay. I, I say this all the time. Any dumbass can chase green candles. Any any moron gets excited about the price rising of anything. The same person who bought Bitcoin after thirty green candles in a row would buy Dentacoin. You know, like they don't have to know or understand anything about it to uh to to be to, to quote unquote become a Bitcoiner and go get some Bitcoin uh and they'll run screaming scared the second the second they have two red candles in a row, right? Um they don't understand anything, they're just hype noise um but if they get it when the price is down then they begin to understand and as you have this feedback loop of uh of these these new these higher lows Right? These, these new plateaus of the network effect of the, the growing use and liquidity of this all around the world. These massive deleveraging events where if you're paying close attention, you realize this is just a short-term credit swing. You know, this is a credit crisis basically. This is just a great buying opportunity. Like as you kind of step your way up to higher legitimacy and higher understanding, well, then you're having a completely different culture that gets reinforced with resources. It gets reinforced with capital reward and you have a real economy with real signals and you have things allocated properly. You know, you look at the fiat system and how many insolvent fractional reserve banks, how many people working in finance are being rewarded for disgustingly irresponsible behavior, for horrible speculation, for insolvency. And, you know, when you're in your family groups and there's the guy who's in finance and he comes wearing the nicest shirts and driving the nicest car when you pull up to your family gatherings, it does a thing. It does something to, to their weight among your group. Yeah. Those people just got obliterated in Bitcoin. Those insolvent people, BlockFi throws withdrawals. You know, yeah. or froze or yeah. their rewards. Celsius froze withdrawals. The yeah. insolvent and the irresponsible get obliterated. They might drive the nice car for a hot minute, but then that car gets repoed. Right? And, and I think that will, that will change the culture. When the prices are accurate, when the money is real, it will shift our values away from the things that are actually destructive because we will, they will be revealed As destructive. Right now what we have is a a massive economy of destructive, uh, unprofitable businesses and models and, uh, and financial insolvency appearing to look positive. Correct. Appearing profitable because we're papering over the losses. When we are unable to do that anymore, the culture will shift in the opposite direction. Because nobody glorifies something that destroys their life, or at least a very, very small group of people will do it, because ultimately it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If it's destructive, it will destroy itself. It's like suicide. Suicide yeah. can never really become popular because everybody just kills themselves, and then and they're not there to th- it, it kills the its own mechanism. Right? It's like a virus that spreads really fast and murders its host, like yeah. actually kills its host rather than make it sick. Um, because if it kills the, ho- the faster it kills the host, the, the, fir- the, cl- the, uh, the faster the virus itself dies and can't replicate. What
0: gotcha. you need
1: is to make the host sick and you need it to survive. So long term
0: to spread the virus before yeah. the host dies so or the host. That doesn't example die sounds, to- sounds, sounds, like. No, no, it's actually weird. dead on. The host doesn't die. <laughs> they become weakened in a long, prolonged yeah. state and continue to spread, right? Um, so I think my, my approach to this question is, pretty much saying the same thing but from a different way of explaining it and it is that i think there's two main things that happen to the mind when one examines bitcoin enough to learn like first principles of money and understand how the fiat system actually works what fractional reserve means why inflation is it what you think it is it's not just printing money it's it's the velocity of money as it moves and multiplies in the fractional mm-hmm. system and like when you learn all that you're like well nobody's taught me you know if you got people with a degree and freaking business and like a minor in economics that don't really understand fractional reserve. No right? And, and they're like, that, that really hurts the brain. But if they accept it, then they say, well, wait a minute. If I was lied to about money and banking, then maybe I was lied wrong. to about other shit. So then they start mm. researching health and nutrition and they realize like, Oh, this food they put us on, that's the same breakdown of, of, of macros as a bag of freaking cattle feed. And maybe mm. I shouldn't eat like a cow. Cause I'm not a cow and I'm not supposed to eat like a cow. And by, oh, by the way, cows aren't supposed to eat like that either. Cows are supposed to eat grass. That's what a ruminant does. It ruminates on grass. Maybe I should eat the cow that eats the grass instead of eat the food that the cow eats and eat the cow that eats the bag of food, right? So that, I think that opens up the, that, and that's the, that's the less intellectually um, sophisticated component. The more intellectually sophisticated component, it, the, per, the th- it's happening to the person, but they don't even know it. Yeah. Our society has been built on a bleak feature, a bleak, bleak future for a very long time. That's where the whole YOLO idea comes from, right? This idea that it's screw the future, yeah. live for today, right? Yeah. And a, an inflationary monetary system creates that. And if you look at all the richest people in the world, they're all in debt up to their eyes, on purpose, because the system's actually designed, if you have enough money it yeah, the right way, you can you can live like that forever and never run out of money and never pay any taxes, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all built on that. But then all the peons, like they try to participate in that system, and it's very parasitic, and they get drained of their blood, their life force. They're like the sick host you described, right? So they have mm-hmm. no hope in the future. They discover Bitcoin, and then they discover the concept of something called savings, right not just investing because investing we all kind of in our mind we make this we make this mindset of if it's an investment it's a risk like mm-hmm. across, even across time like i could do this for 20 years and it could still not pay off when you look at bitcoin you go mathematically unless a meteor hits the planet or something this is going to be the money of the future so my money's safer then so you start thinking about tomorrow and now you start mm-hmm. thinking about next year and then you start thinking in 5 years And it it has a a huge cascading effect because one thing you do is like, well, like, yeah, I got to think about my future, but, and my grandkids and my great grandkids. So old men start planting trees under whose shade they know they will never sit. So they start thinking about multi-generation, but they also think like, well, I want to be here to see as much of this cool shit as possible. So like, then they start thinking about their health. Right. And then if they start taking that journey, they start looking into all of the corruption around the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry. And they, they go down that rabbit hole. Right. And they, they end up living in the rabbit hole like you, yeah. you can't unsee it. It's it's a matrix experience. But it all really starts with I'm actually now hopeful for my future, because if you want to know why people kill themselves, they have no hope that tomorrow will be better than today.
1: They have no and hope so that th- tomorrow will be better than, than today. And they feel like they have no control over changing yep.
0: that. Every day I wake up will be the it's worst day of my life, right? Peter from yeah. uh, Office Space, right? Like every day yeah. will be the worst day I've ever had. It will never get any better. And the balance of keeping this like loose federation of slaves together is to make them feel like that just enough that they don't kill themselves, that they stick yeah. around sick, fat, lazy, and unhealthy. But when that person separates from that and starts saying, hey, like it doesn't matter that I'm 50. I could, I could start lifting some iron again, right? And and starts thinking about mm-hmm. tomorrow, then – everything's up for grabs. And I think that's why we gravitate to this place because then it's like, well, all I want is the freedom to like have some animals in my backyard. What do you mean? I can't do that. They never wanted to. So they didn't even know that they weren't allowed to. It, and so somebody
1: like, was going to get mad at them for it. Right.
0: All people need is one thing they want to do. That seems completely reasonable to them that they should be able to, and then be told you can't do it because somebody else said you can't do it. And they're like, well, wait, wait a minute. All of a sudden this affects me. Right. People that watch that shit happen to other people their whole lives. And they're like, that's okay. That's okay. Who would want to do that anyway? Oh wait, I want to do something I can't do? Maybe this is, maybe the system's a problem. And I think that's how we end up there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's funny too, like I kind of going back to the yuppie elite idea, um, is that it's all, it's all a matter of, it's really all founded in trust is that we are we're groomed. We're groomed. We're, we're literally led from the very beginning in the public school system and everything to trust and believe that someone else has the answer, that it's in the right textbook. It's not something to discover. It's mm. something to be told and that you're supposed to listen to the person who is the authority. You're supposed to do exactly what your teacher says. And if they can't explain it, it doesn't matter. That's the answer because the teacher has it. It's the expert who has the answer. It's the right politician who has the answer. And they are the, they are the source rather than discovery, rather than critical thinking. And when you, when you start to develop this, it's basically a learned dependency of do not have confidence in yourself. Do not. Think through things yourself. Here is a list of things you were supposed to remember. And here are the people who tell you what those things are supposed to be. And memorize it, regurgitate it. Memorize it, regurgitate it. And you do this for long enough. And then people just go looking for where's the answer? Who's the expert that has the answer for me? And...
0: When and it you exists. make
1: your first, it's like a revival. Right. It's, like a, yeah. it's, it's like a, it's it's like a an inner revolution. There's like this enlightenment when you realize that you were lied to about money. Yeah, you're like, so I can you you suddenly, it's this feeling of incredible self empowerment that you figured this shit out, that you found the answer in spite of the person who told you what it was because they were wrong and your trust in that model your trust in the dependency that was supposed to be keeping you safe cracks and then you start looking around because now you're you you've taken two steps back away from this frame of reality that you are in and now you can look at the actual nature of the frame now you can kind of look outside the side of the painting and look at the wall that it's sitting on and you're like dude this wall is like rotten there's like yeah. there's other things wrong with this. Yeah. Um, and then you keep stepping back further and further. You know, and it's and it's so funny. The writing is on the wall everywhere. Like the the obviousness of some of the things that we're lied about is incredible. Like the fact that corn and grain causes like makes us fat. Yeah. That it's incredibly unhealthy for us. We know these things. Like farmers, like they know these things. In fact, like there's a there's a delicacy in France with ducks where they induce fatty liver disease mm-hmm. by force feeding them a bunch of corn and grain they literally yeah. put a pipe down the because the duck won't eat it. they put a pipe down their gullet and they just they just shove a bunch of corn and grain and carbs into the into the ducks for months and months and months and then when you kill the duck to eat them, their their livers are disgusting. Or, well, delicious. Exactly. But but their livers are insanely unhealthy. They literally induce fatty liver disease. Yeah. So that it's, because it's a delicacy, it's delicious. Everybody loves fat. But that's how you do it. And then you do that same thing with kids with cereal in the morning and you put sugar on it and all this. And apple juice. Somehow it's heart healthy for us. Yeah. But like, it's the exact same thing. We do this so many times. It's what we do. The cattle, like over and over and over again, you see this same crap. We know what these things do, but when the experts say otherwise, which are actually just science funded by marketing, funded by incumbents that have political power to make sure that they can't be undermined from a cultural perspective, these the, these systems of power feed back on themselves, and everybody just trusts the, the loudest political voice. Agreed. And It leads to incredible corruption. It leads to the, the proliferation and sustainability of lies for decades and decades. And it's funny how much of that will fall away when we fix the money.
0: You know, Um, what, what I think of when you say that, another one of Michael Seller's interviews and, and how the elite know what they're doing and how they cure it in their own, you know, elite prodigy with education because what you just said is a lesson that most people never experience. They never experienced it, especially, and I don't mean to pick on people, you know, the, the whole generational thing, but the younger generation really believes there is an, an every. We already know everything and there is an answer. And once you know the answer, you just do that thing and don't, don't worry about it anymore. Right? So what Saylor said when he went to MIT, all of a sudden instead of being the smartest kid in the classroom, he's surrounded by other people just as smarter, smarter than him. Like they were all, the smartest kids in their classroom before they were all in this room together. Yeah. And this professor walks out with one of the tiles from the Challenger space shuttle that burned up on re-entry. And does it say, hello, my name is Mr. So-and-so or Professor So-and-so or Dr. So-and-so says, so that's what this is. It is your job as a class to figure out what went wrong, puts it down on the desk and sits down and says not a word. And they all look at each other like, holy shit. And then you said, you realize in this exercise, you're not going to get the answer. At this point, NASA had not figured it out yet. A whole bunch of people that sat at the desk you were in that went through all of the things you're about to do in the next four years, and some of them longer, that went to work for NASA, they all already looked at this, and they all already don't know the answer. There is no place in a book to get this answer. You're not going to stick your hand up and give a five-word answer and get a a star. And so it broke that thinking that there was an answer. And the fact that when you, you know, if you think what it takes to get into MIT, mm-hmm. right, like how hard that is. Like, that's like a lesson that's designed like, well, we'll save our own in time because they end up coming through mostly the same funnel. And that they have to learn, hey, if you want to be one of the overlords, you have to not think like a peon anymore. And I think mm-hmm. Bitcoin gives that lesson like an MIT teacher does. It's like, here it is. And now it's up to you. Can you see it or do you fall out? Like you say, I, I can't accept this because I think that's. The biggest thing holding Bitcoin back to me is that if I sit down and talk to you, let's say you're hugely overweight, right? And I say, look, you need to stop eating Twinkies and Ho-Hos and Ding Dongs and bread, <laughs> right? And you need to eat, like, ribeyes and broccoli and stop drinking booze, at least until you lose the weight, because it interferes with the process. And you need mm-hmm. to get healthy. And it's not that hard. And if I gave you a million dollars to eat ribeyes for six months, you would do it. Like, the reason you don't want to do it isn't that you don't believe it'll work. It's because you don't want to do it. Yeah. Because accepting that it's true, would require you to be responsible it for it. And I think yeah. there's this inter- like this internal thing, that if I accept Bitcoin for what it is, I'm going to start thinking about my spending. Like mm-hmm. ten years ago, when I wanted to buy something, you know, I've done well financially my whole life. Like if I had enough money to buy the thing without altering my life today, I wouldn't bought the thing. Now, when I want to buy a thing, I'm like, well, how many sats is that? Yeah, right. And I don't think people subconsciously anyway want to make that. They don't want to go to the gym every day. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same same phenomenon. Like, I know I'd be better off if I did, but that's, that's hard.
1: It's all varying degrees of responsibility and, and varying scopes of what you're responsible for. And I think this is something that a lot of people don't think about is that, like, you want to think that freedom is just having things that you like. But there's a whole subset of society that thinks that they're free because... Like, freedom is getting health care from the government for free. Like, that's freedom. (laughs) Freedom is the exact opposite of that. Freedom is responsibility. To be free means that you are responsible for everything in your life, which also means you're not dependent on anyone else, which means that you actually have the scope to solve it. If you're dependent on somebody else and they're wrong or they're incompetent or they're corrupt, you're screwed. You're a problem. Yeah, because you're not free to choose. You're not free to make your own decision or figure out your own solution or to trust somebody else. You're forced into subservience. Freedom is responsibility. We have they are literally one and the same. We have a pandemic. Of subservience, we have a pandemic of generations that are afraid, desperately afraid of being responsible for anything in their lives. And it's learned. It's taught. It's the desire not to grow up. Yeah. And, well,
0: there's a lot and of that.
1: we're moving into a world where we're beginning to see the consequences of failing to do that. What happens when nobody right. grows up? What happens when nobody takes responsibility and everybody just becomes dependent on the next guy? Um. And the beautiful thing about a trustless money is that you can actually rebuild trusted relationships again. You can take out the element of corruption. You can take out the the fact that your your medium, your language to communicate economically with these other people can be corrupted in and of itself such that you and I can't trust each other because the mechanism we're using to communicate might be fucked anyway, already. And when that is stable, we can actually build a relationship again. We can actually start working with businesses and have family doctors that we have for our entire life because the money is real. The communication that we are having from an economic standpoint tells us something meaningful about the economy, and we actually weigh our decisions. What it costs to go do something now matters. It's critical that it matters. The fact that it ever
0: didn't is frightening. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Um, and, I, mean, I wouldn't say it would end corruption, but it makes corruption have a cost. That's what I mean. It right, does, the big does problem it we corruption. have with corruption right now yeah. is that corruption is free, right? And what yeah. I mean by it being – I don't mean it doesn't cost anybody else anything. I mean that like, if I'm the guy that wants to peddle influence and I'm close to the faucet, I have an unlimited budget to corrupt my fellow man with. And I can yeah. basically steal Guy Swan's fiat money value through – printing more money to buy the Mm -hmm. influence or bureaucrats have so much power now that they can buy influence without actually spending any direct money. So if you want, if you had hard real hard money and you want, if I want to pay off guy Swan, I actually have to sacrifice the money that I'm giving to guy to buy you off. Right. I can't just go, Hey, let somebody else pay him. Cause think about that. I mean, not only is it like very tempting to use corruption if it works, but if it has mm-hmm. no actual cost to you, you're not going to get fired. You're not going to get voted out of office. You're not going to go to prison. And it doesn't even have to be your money. And you can buy influence. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. you know, maybe there's 10% of people in the world that have enough integrity to fight that off, I guess,
1: you know. Um That's probably a high estimate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying man, I don't know if you gave me that much power. I'd like to believe that I would not corrupt, but. You'd have to be tempted, man. You'd only you know, know yourself
1: you, after you were put to the test.
0: Yeah. I, I don't even want that. See, I think that's the, I think the way people really can gauge whether they have any chance, does having that much power even scare you? Like I yeah. don't want to, I don't want a high level political office. I don't want, I, that I, shit. I don't want yeah. to have Jeff Bezos's money. I don't want it. I don't want that much power. And I, I, I think that there's very few people that would actually, well, I don't know. Maybe there's more people than I think. I, I hope so. Um, what do you think about this whole idea that people keep saying Bitcoin is an inflation hedge? Because, you know, it's also like incredibly volatile, right? And I think volatile is subjective because if you look at it over time, it's it's pretty volatile and a continued upward trend. But there Mm -hmm. is swings back and forth. So I don't know that we help ourselves if we use that phrase, at least not without an explanation to go along with it.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that one comes with caveats because people are thinking we're coming from an economy where everybody come, thinks in the short term. Yeah. Um. So it's easy to think that oh, somebody <laughs> they dumped on us because Bitcoin fell when there's inflation, right? Yeah. Um. But uh, probably the better way to think actually, this is the last episode on the show. Pierre Richard had a a really great little article on it called "The Utility of Saving." Um. And it's about monetary or supply assurances. The cost of having consistent, predictable, unchangeable supply is having an unpredictable price. It's volatility. If you want something that's not volatile, that's perfectly stable from a monetary perspective – Well, then you're only going to get that by manipulating the supply. That's the only way to artificially get that. The appearance of stability is done by destroying the monetary assurances and thus making it corrupt. And in the long term, in the short term, maybe you can make it appear stable, but in the long term, it's dead. It's going to zero, right? Your risk is total risk, is total loss. Um, but the price, the cost of Qualitative assurances that the money is the money is the fact that you can't do anything about the price when it is adjusting to reality. When you have a credit crisis, when you have too many people over leveraged in the, in the economy and they've all collateralized it with Bitcoin, well, they're all going to have to sell that Bitcoin to, to fix their collateral, right? Or to, to uh, pay for their leveraged events. They're all going to get margin called. Mm-hmm. Um, And particularly during a monetization event, a network that is growing viciously, uh, a new monetary good that's being discovered and that most people still don't have the slightest clue how to relate to it. They don't understand it. They just see price go up and they buy a green candle. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the same old thing. Well, you're going to get massive volatility because the information in the market is incomplete. Like the the market is the market has no idea it's still in the discovery phase of what the Correct. hell a bitcoin even is um yeah. so the volatility is going to be even more exaggerated but the long term fix to this the only you you look out long enough and the, the it's simply that volatility comes or volatility de- decreases with liquidity the faster the, the more it grows and the more embedded it becomes and the more it's used to settle payments internationally and for remittances and for retail payments and the more trading there is and the more actual settled Bitcoin transactions and not paper transactions, uh, that are done, the more stable it is. And it's become less, it's less and less volatile even, even today. Even oh, today, definitely. you look at it through history, the volatility of Bitcoin has continued to decrease. It has these spikes, but those spikes The the volatility has lower highs while the price
0: has higher lows. Um, So it's just a matter of time. Six years ago, let's say I was a a Bitcoin billionaire six years ago at about a billion dollars USD value of Bitcoin. And I decided, I'm not. No, I wasn't. No, no, no. I'm saying. No, no, I know. I'm I'm
1: just saying. I'm just imagining a billion dollars in Bitcoin
0: then. (laughs) Right. Just say hypothetically, right. And then I decided, well, I'm done with this game. I'm not going to be betting on the next sucker. I'm going to get out. And so I decided like, to not completely collapse an exchange. I'm going to split my Bitcoin up to $100, mil- 10, $100 million packets, put them on 10 of the biggest exchanges at the time, and sell a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in a week. That would have had a massive, massive impact on the price of Bitcoin. Like it Probably would have greater than percent. You know, you can have a big sell-off and it brings the price down like we just had. But if, if one person were to sell just a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin randomly, you know, and it's not dogpiled on with a bunch of others. It doesn't even move the needle anymore. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested you in this know new model. You know of the day. I don't know who put this new model out. And it's always easy to reverse engineer a model. It doesn't mean it carries forward into the future. But I'm sure you've seen the model that's made up of this series of circles in the graph that shows the volatility and the overall upward trend. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, if I had to sum it up to somebody that hasn't seen it, number go up, circle get smaller. Right. So yeah. the circle is the volatility. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. The, the price volatility is actually contained in smaller and smaller circles across the entire life of Bitcoin. And it actually fits and it scales beautifully. But like that does not mean it will go forward. But it actually what I've said about it is it makes logical, consistent sense that this is actually what would happen as a network effect adoption of this happened. The volatility will decline and it still mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good when you're the one doing it. It doesn't feel good when you bought it sixty eight thousand because Elon Musk said to or whatever, right? Like <laughs> but if you're if you're always DCAing in, and I know you're a big fan of that approach as well, to get to a point where you don't care anymore. Like oh, yeah. you know, when you've become a hodler is when you're not going refresh on the price fifty seven times a day. When you know, like you know no one does that with their four oh one K, nobody does that with their house, but they buy Bitcoin or some other shit crypto and it's like refresh, refresh. Refresh. And I, it's it, fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Or people say like it went down so I had to sell. What? That doesn't like, – It's not like, okay, so at the same time it went down, my wife got cancer so I had to sell. Okay, that I feel for you. That sucks. I'm sorry that happened. But people that like made it like they had to because it went down, well, if it had doubled, would you have sold it? No, then you didn't have to. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a weird thing. But I, I I guess it's an inflation hedge across the right time horizon. I – yeah. You it's, know, it's all about, it's it? all about time horizon.
1: It really is. Um, you know, what like even back inflation? in 2013. Yeah. With, I, I had friends or whatever. And like during that spike in the price or whatever, um, it's so funny. Like it was, it was all hyped up and I'd, I'd have some friends and be like, so when are you selling? Like when are, when are you, when are you getting out and you yeah. getting cash or whatever? And I, I would never tell them then like, I'm not like Bitcoin is my exit. Like I don't, I'm not selling and they didn't understand it was it was a no. stock to them it was it was a trade and that was it And i'm like no right. i'm i'm literally i want to move everything over to bitcoin i don't know how long that takes but i'm going to slowly and incrementally make my life a bitcoin life period i'm just trying to end my
0: use i'm exiting fiat
1: however i can do that i can do i'm doing that um Sorry, I kind of interrupted you. What were you about to say?
0: No, that's fine. No, we, 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 I've had a long time, and I want to be respectful of your time here. But if we could, we could hit a few uh, comments from the audience here. Uh, sure, if sure. Don't mind. Yeah, you I'm a little, I'm a
1: little tight. I got like five, five, ten minutes left. Okay, well then, we'll make you make him wrap
0: it up. Go slow. <laughs> I mean, go fast on them uh, Thoughts on <laughs> Bitcoin and podcasting being catalysts to launch the high first turning that follows the current crisis fourth turning.
1: Thoughts on Bitcoin and podcasting being catalysts. Um. So you're meaning like from a societal, like fourth turning perspective.
0: That's what they're, assume, asking, yeah, that what they're asking. Yeah, basically. Okay. Is, is the next generation of the strong men to um, replace the weak ass, soft ass men we have right now?
1: Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> um, well, going back to uh the idea of freedom is responsibility is it's putting you back in charge. Like Bitcoin, you know, there's something really amazing about holding your own keys for the first time to anybody who actually does it. Is you realize that like holy shit I have this and nobody else has it, and in the monetary world in the financial world you never that's never the case. You, you, everything is permissioned. Everything is a is a trusted network. Um, and when you hold your Bitcoin for the first time, like you're like this is my freaking Bitcoin. Holy crap! I could lose it. Like I could do something wrong, and it's scary. But the reason it's scary is because it's real. It's cause it's actual responsibility that you have taken on. And in the same way, like you look at podcasting, podcasting is you sourcing your own information. Podcasting mm-hmm. is not owned. There's no platform for podcasting. Podcasting is an, is an open RSS feed system on any and all platforms. Like, like you don't, I don't, I'm not locked into the one app that I want to use. You know, I, I have a bunch of different podcasting apps and I just choose whichever one I feel like using today. But the same podcasts are on all of them, you know, RSS feeds are open. Yeah. Um, it's a protocol. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pro- exactly. It's a protocol. Um, and there's immense power in kind of taking charge of your life and it's a teaching moment. Um, like I said, there's a, there's a personal enlightenment when you realize you've been lied to, when you discover something yourself for the first time, when you take responsibility for something and uh, that feed. There's a feedback loop there when you, when you realize that you're in control of one thing in your life, but then you see everywhere where you're not in control, where you're totally dependent, where you're screwed if something goes wrong based on someone else's decision. You start to, you start to root those things out. You start to look for your own answers. You start to take responsibility in those areas of your life. You mature, you grow up, you become fucking adult. Um, and that's what we need. We do. Um, And fourth turnings. Fourth turnings are when you realize the consequences of staying a child your whole life. Um, and you got to you got to you got to wait the hell up and you got to do something about it.
0: So but I, I want to make sure that. You either do that or, or die. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make sure you see this comment because this is your payday for the day, guy. J.C. Pockets. Right. Man. I'm a very liberal Bitcoin supporter. Buddy. Guy Swan is how I learned about money. Bitcoin is for everyone I no longer identify as a liberal.
1: JC's my boy.
0: <laughs> JC uh, is, full
1: of, is full of gold. You got to follow him on on Twitter. All right. I
0: right, see so you guys know about it. Um, I want to let you go because it, it, it has been a long one. Um, but I think that this is one of the best interviews I've done, especially about uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, thank you. And so yeah. it was fantastic having you here today, Guy. If uh, you ever want to come on and talk about anything again or is anything I can ever do for you or my community, can you just let us know? And we'll do that. Uh, thank, yeah, you. thank you for giving us almost two hours of your time. I know it's valuable. Yeah. And uh, you want to tell man. people Good how time. to find you? Like where they yeah. need to go to get more guy? Because a lot of people are yeah. like, man, who is this guy? He's the guy. The guy.
1: And I've read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. I believe that's um, a true statement, by the way. Oh, it's one. It's It's true. It's true at this point. I got the proof of work, baby. I got, yeah. I got 14 audiobooks. I got uh almost 700 reads on the show. Like it's just it's it's stacking up there, man. Um I'm I'm going for that, you know, they say 10,000 hours makes you a master. Yeah. I I feel like I've got to have like 4 to 5,000 hours of possibly recorded Bitcoin audio, you know? I like think so. like just like solid stuff. So we'll see. Um, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going for 10,000. I'll get there. All right. Um, But, uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the guy swan. Um, I just post about Bitcoin, libertarianism, that, that sort of stuff, philosophy, cypherpunk philosophy. It's my, it's my fun stuff. And I read and discuss and learn and share about everything about Bitcoin, about its history, about why it should exist. Why we needed it, um, why we need it still. Um, the macro financial situation, economics. Like I said, I'm an Austrian economics nerd. Uh, some of my favorite stuff is like the 20 or 30 years of cypherpunk and cryptography history before it led to Bitcoin because there's so much just gold. I gotta talk about Internet history. Obviously, I'm mean, going to talk about it a lot in this. Um, and uh, and my show, the podcast, is Bitcoin Audible. And then also we've got Shitcoin Insider, which is few and far between, but we just recorded an episode the other day. Um, and so that show is not done. It's just kind of like our guilty pleasure to to dump on a lot of the obnoxious stuff in crypto. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a fun <laughs> show. It's a fun show. Um, I agree. But yeah, Bitcoin Audible is the main thing, and the guy Swan. On Twitter, Swan is two ends, by the
0: way. Well, well, f- um, folks can get by either the yeah. the Bitcoin or the SurvivalPodcast bo- uh, survival dot com. Look up this episode, and I will have links to all of your stuff in the show notes. Ooh,
1: who who am I following?
0: Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who uh, yeah, am I following? I wanted to ask uh, Corey, you that, Clifton,
1: right? Corey Clifton. Corey uh, follow follow him. He's the guy who runs. Uh, he's CEO of Swan Bitcoin. Uh, he has done. He's been amazing at calling out all the shit that's like been blowing up in crypto. He's called out Celsius, called out like UST and Luna, like before these things blew up. Um, he's, man, he is a resource. Uh, uh, they're Gigi. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Gigi. Um, he has some incredible writing. He's got another book coming out. Uh, Knuts von Holm. Uh, I'm reading or we're waiting for confirmation on his third audiobook that I just did with him. Safadine. I mean, there, there's a bunch of good ones. Those are just off the top of my head, but, um, uh, I just, look at my follow list. I, I follow.
0: <laughs> that's, that's who I'm interested in Bitcoin right now. Very cool, man. Well, hey, again, thanks for being with us today. And again, uh, GuySwan.com, BitcoinAudible.com, guyswan at Twitter. I will make sure there's links to all of those in the show notes mm-hmm. on both websites for uh, today's yeah, episode. Thank you again for being with us, Guy.
1: Yeah, man, for sure. I appreciate it. Had a good ass time.
0: Me show you a better way.